Hey everyone, and welcome back to Too Much Screen Time. We are super excited for today's podcast because we are going to be talking about my most anticipated film of the year, which is Dune. We're going to start off with a non-spoiler section. So if you haven't seen the movie, this is time. This is your time to kind of tune in, hear our initial reactions, and then we will be very clear about when we're going to dive into spoilers so you can turn away, go watch the movie, and then return to the podcast. So let's dive in. Let's start off with getting into what we really liked about the film. I'm a huge Denis Villeneuve fan. Um, I haven't seen his earlier French language films yet. That's definitely on my list. Um, but ever since Prisoners came out, I've seen all of his films. And I think that if I were to sum up what Denis Villeneuve is best at as a director, he is fantastic at framing large monolithic structures moving in slow motion across or up and down a screen. I can literally watch an hour of that and that's what you get in Dune. <laughs> Aside from all of the, you know, the, 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 the acting and, and the, the story plot, you, you get a lot of large monolithic structures moving slowly across or up and down the screen or just sitting there. Um, but I think, you know, it's what's funny about that is I, I tie that directly into just the, the endeavor of taking one of the most treasured science fiction uh, collection in Dune and turning that into a palatable and coherent two and a half hour movie. Really, it's going to be five hour movie. It's because it's split across two parts. Um, and in the same way that Denis Villeneuve is able to take these large structures and frame them in a way that is just so beautiful and clear for us to see in the audience, I really feel like he was successful at taking this large monolith of Dune and turning it into something that, you know, as someone who has never read the series and it was coming in completely blind, uh, I fell in love with the story and the characters and I'm actually looking forward to reading the book myself. So that's what I liked about That's just a very general thought about what I like about the film. I know. I also left the movie theater being like, I kind of want to read the book now. I mean, I too have read it. Up. Book sales are up, Alex. It's yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and now all the books have Timothy Chalamet's massive face on the cover. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I'm like super excited to read the book. I, I tried reading it before the movie came out. I tried reading like the first couple chapters, but it was so dense. And there were a lot of like, character names, a lot of families, and I just couldn't like get behind it. But now, you know, that I have seen the movie, maybe that'll kind of help as I like read the book and understand kind of the big plot and kind of what's going on. I think that's really important, right? Because this book, with how complicated everybody says it was, it could have turned a lot of your average moviegoers off. But I think he does such a great job of spanning things up. But and also, it seems like people that read the book with the except maybe a couple exceptions, it's pretty true to what the original source material is, which is really, really cool. But I think um, one thing that I really loved about it, it's, it's like, it's hot people on a hot planet. <laughs> I mean, literally like everybody in this film is just absolutely, and they look gorgeous guys. <laughs> like the exception just, of the Baron played by Stellan Skarsgård. But it's funny because he like, he absolutely loved to be that character. Apparently in an interview, he said he really, he, he wanted to be as naked as he could <laughs> to, to, in that role. Um, but yeah, it was, it was so great. I mean, I think my favorite part of this movie was just 
it's got to be the scope, right? This this film was massive. I mean, when was the last time we got something that feels this big besides Star Wars, right? That felt like so big. I mean, and also not just massive, but unlike what I thought was Blade Runner 2049, pretty freaking great, right? And Denny actually did Blade Runner. I did not like that movie so much. I, I kind of left that movie saying, who really cares? I didn't really need this movie. But like, but this I bet movie, you enjoyed the large monolithic structures. I did. I did. Slowly moving across <laughs> or up and down screen. But I feel like you're seeing that trajectory, right, of, of him being, um, you know, he knows how to get this big scope, but he also knows how to tell stories. And this kind of seems to be like his masterpiece so far of where, where he's going. And I mean, there is so much potential here. And that's what I'm excited for. We just got the green light to, to, to uh, Dune 2. I mean, there are six novels by Frank Herbert, six original Dune novels. So I think the sky's the limit on Warner Brothers. They need something else besides DC. Um, and I hope they go, they, they take advantage. There should be spinoffs, keep doing sequels. And if it's going to be Denis who's going to keep telling these stories, I'm all for it. So I'm excited. It's like a big mixture of Star Wars, Game of Thrones, and Lord of the Rings all wrapped up in one. Yeah, I don't really watch a lot of sci-fi, so it feels, it feels really different getting introduced to a whole new world of fantasy. I think the last fantasy series I watched was probably like Harry Potter, and I'm a big fan of it, but I feel like I almost forgot the learning curve. Like you have to learn all the planets and how their hierarchy works and their government. And, and there's so many like new, like so much new jargon introduced that there were times where I'm like, okay, is that a person? Is that a place? Is that a thing? You know, but overall, I feel like they did a really good job introducing me to this new world. I mean, Lord knows they had the time I was invested, but I think I really loved how everything felt different. Like, I don't feel like I feel I've seen the costumes before. I don't feel like I saw the, even the way the color palette was done. I was really into how each planet had almost like a distinct color scheme. Overall, I feel like I was new to the world, but I felt comfortable by the end of it. And I really liked the way it was done. I also, this is kind of specific, but I not just the score, but I liked the way that they used the audio in this film. Maybe there's a better term for that. I don't know. Do you sound know Anselm? Yeah. It's, sound it's design. Sound design. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I really liked the sound design, even with um, with uh, the voice <laughs> thing. Uh, but there was so much, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not sure if it was my theater, like it was too loud because there were some things that were just a little inaudible. But overall, I just felt, I, I think I just felt immersed is probably the best word for it. Visually, audio wise, I'll have some more specifics later to kind of go through, but overall I was impressed. Yeah, I think Shantae, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like I, I totally felt immersed in this movie. And I think that's something that Denis Villeneuve does so well with his movies. And I'm only going to reference like his US-based films like Prisoners, Enemy, Sicario, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049. Like this guy just churns out hits, right? But I think what I really loved particularly about this film is his world building, right? Like I think he's so good at creating this immersive world building experience. Like, just like you said, Shantae, about like the planets, you know, like the different houses and the families. And 
I loved what he did with like the mythos, right? Like the religion and kind of like the, their influence, like the Bene Gesserit. And like, I, I love also how they show the way technology has progressed um, throughout humanity over this time and how it's progressed differently than like what we probably would have expected in like, uh, what, is it the year like 10,000, like 300 or something at the time of this movie? It's 10,191. 10,191. Like, it's crazy to think that far in the future, but I love how technology has progressed so differently and, and, and yet it has this like ancient feel to it in a lot of different ways. Um, like, Did you know, there weren't any books. computers, right? There weren't any like actual computers. The technology was analog. Did you guys notice that? Yeah, I did not. And that's I incredible. Didn't, yeah, I picked, I didn't pick it up at first. Let me ask you, does earth exist in this universe? So I have I, not seen it. What I thought was that, like, you know how like place names change all the time? I'm wondering if the original planet, I think it was Chalcedon or something like that. I wonder if, if that is Earth and it's just a different name 10,000 years later. I mean, we got a Duncan Idaho, right? Yeah, so. Isn't that funny? There are like a bunch of names. Paul. And then you, and then you get Paul and Duncan. <laughs> this has been a passion project probably for like the entire crew and cast. And so I think it's, it's really, uh, it really shows on screen. Like, I feel like they gave it their all. And I think because of that, I would put this as a masterpiece, you know, however, this movie isn't perfect, right? We, we have some flaws and we see some flaws in it. What are some things that you guys just didn't like, or what are some of your criticisms with this movie? I got you on this one. <laughs> okay. I do want to say, as you've heard, I did enjoy it. I did really, really like it. I think the problem with the movie is actually me. I, I think I went in expecting something completely different. To be honest, I've, I've watched a few trailers and I almost feel like it was marketed a little falsely, What a false advertisement. It felt like it was going to be a big action movie. And I felt like it wasn't. We got a few action scenes. Um, they were brief. And most of the movie was setting the stage for this next movie we're going to get. So in my head, you know, this two and a half hour, surely I thought it would be a full movie in and of itself. But here's another problem with me. I did not know this was a part one. All I knew was it was Dune. And I thought, of course, it's Hollywood. They'll, they'll leave it open for a sequel. But leaving an open door for a sequel and a part one are completely different. So I saw that as soon as I entered the movie, it said Dune part one, like opening screen. But I didn't have time to realize what I was getting myself into. So it's not that it wasn't a great movie. I think I just felt impatient the whole time because I was like, what? Like, when are we getting to it? Whatever it is. And it just felt like so much um, stage setting. So I am excited for the second one. Cause I think that that's going to be the movie I thought this movie was. So it's really not a reflection on them, but that's on, honestly, I'm hearing a lot of the same criticism. People were like, it was slow. It was boring. And I'm starting to feel like, I think it was just falsely advertised. It's definitely a legit criticism. Um, and I've definitely been seeing that across the board. Like I saw this one TikTok where this girl was like, I just watched a two and a half hour trailer for Dune part two. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, see that's that, but that what you, it's funny. What you shared Shante is what I actually loved about this film is that. So I did, I also did not know until today I saw, I literally saw it. And then the next thing I did after seeing this is sit here with you guys to record this episode. So a lot of my thoughts are very fresh. 
Um, but I think, so I, I didn't know that this was going to be just part one of it. And at first I was a little perturbed about it. I was like, like why they're already expecting this to be a huge cash cow. And so we're going to go ahead and, and, and sequelize this. But then when I learned that this was a condition for Denis Villeneuve doing this, I think it allowed me to be able to settle in and enjoy it. And I think what I actually wound up appreciating the, the most is that the last big conflict of the movie is not what the last big conflict in the past 999,999 science fiction or fantasy or comic book movie, you know, conflict is. This huge like battles and lasers and aliens and explosions and everything is CGI. The last conflict of the film, this is not really a spoiler, it's, it's, it's a very intimate battle, a very in, involving two people or, or in a small group of people. And to have been left on that note was so refreshing. And to know that like we were gonna be promised probably more of that, you know, the the the, the explosions and all that kind of stuff in a future film, I think for me was like, I, I saw this as like, this is essentially a five hour movie and we're getting the first half of it now and the next half of it later. So I, I actually appreciated that. I know the question Alex was, what do we dislike? I think I'm gonna save mine until for a later question. But uh, yeah, I just, I just, I, I felt like, man, I, I, that, I, what you didn't like, Shantae, is what I loved. And I think it goes back to your first point. Like it's, it's you and it's, it's, it's me and it's whoever, whatever we're, you as an audience member bring to the theater. One of, I have two criticisms with this movie. One I'm going to mention later, just like Anselm uh, at a later question. But my other criticism I think has to do with the sound mixing and editing this was one of my criticisms with Tenet as well. I like, I think that the, a lot of the audio and dialogue was inaudible um, at like some, some kind of crucial moments, you know, where I'm like, wait, what did she just say? You know, like there's a moment when Rebecca Ferguson's character and Timothy Chalamet's character, they're traveling in a helicopter, like, or their like version of a helicopter. And I couldn't hear one thing that they were saying, but it was constant dialogue back and forth that had this epic, like, opera soundtrack behind it and other things are going on and I couldn't hear any of their conversation. So I think if they could just dial it back just a little bit more, I think I would have been able to enjoy and understand kind of more of what was going on. However, I feel like that was a minor criticism. I think that they they chose the sound for a reason. I think it worked. But um, if I can change one thing, I would just like maybe in certain moments, just uh, let the audio and dialogue kind of you know peak a little bit. So I, I would have loved, and I think this is what Game of Thrones did really well, at least for the first seven seasons, was slowing down, letting us, letting these characters, some of them do get fleshed out, but I feel like there is a lot of, there are a lot of characters here that I would love to explore and see a little bit more, right? So some of that's probably going to come later, but there are characters, spoiler alert, that don't make it through the first, this, this first part one, that we don't get to know really anything about. Um, so I think that that would be a criticism that I have. And again, I don't think it's their fault. I think it's just the, the avenue that they chose to tell the story. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's just what happens with like the difference between movies and TV is that like with TV, you know, you're going to get, you know, eight to 22 episodes, depending on what, you know, what, what network you're releasing your TV show in, but you're going to have several hours to, introduce new characters to go on those threads 
Um, I think that's why TV is really going through a renaissance. I think people are looking more for human characters that they can relate to. Making a film is a huge financial risk, especially something like Dune, right? And what's going to bring people to the theater? It's the director, it's the stars. And I would have loved to see less stars in this film and like a fellowship see, like kind exactly. of what, like lord of the rings right you brought right. A lot yeah of like characters. who's dominic monaghan who's that right. like who's sean astin oh yeah i guess sean astin was a big child star but you know like who you know uh, sean bean <laughs> who might come up later in this podcast like these people are like you know minor orlando but, bloom, but ca- orlando, orlando bloom character Bloom's actors one, so right who came out of nowhere and and were made into stars and i think giving using dune as a way of creating stars i think could have been a really great opportunity i also understand you know you gotta make money instead of having thanos instead of (laughs) the first the first time he speaks he's like i am smiling i'm like okay thanos is in this this." (laughs) also also i just want to say that was a stolen line from a movie called black dynamite just let y'all know out there if you've ever seen black dynamite which is a parody of the 1970s black exploitation film the lead character black dynamite makes the same i am smiling line and that was from 2009 just want to let y'all know uh i i caught you uh denis or eric roth or whichever one of you wrote that line i caught you <laughs> this is probably where we will start to get into spoilers so if you haven't seen the movie I think that we can all say that we would recommend you go see it. I personally would recommend you go see it in theaters. I know that they released this on HBO Max simultaneously. I think that this is a movie that deserves the big screen. So wholeheartedly uh, go see it and then return. And uh, we will dive into spoilers in three, two, one. You know, one of the critiques of science fiction is the underrepresentation of non-white characters in major roles despite the fact that white people, you know, in the most liberal of estimates, currently represent about 20% of the world's population, right? Like, where does Dune stand in its representation of non-white characters? And what might this suggest about the future of representation in science fiction films? Dune overall, to me, it falls prey to this criticism and also in a way subverts it in a way that leaves me hopeful that's what i'll say um i think one the main character is a you know beautiful white boy who is going to save the entire universe right like that's that might be a credit to again the fact that frank herbert is a white man and he's he writes what he knows right on the other hand i really feel like dune the film and and maybe the book is a great analysis of the role that capitalism imperialism and colonization have played on the the state of the world. Or you have this planet that could be this paradise, but is literally exploited by, you know, these imperialists who come in and they make decisions about how they divide up a planet that has people who have lived on it for however many generations, however many millennia. Very Middle East. Right. Exactly. Western, very Western very, world very, very middle. Africa. Like, yep. That's exactly, exactly what. Like literally, it's there what, was what Western yeah. Western Europe and the United States. Right. Exactly. I mean, I, I think even literally, like with, with Africa, there was like there was a meeting of European imperialist powers that got together. They took out a map of Africa and like a piece of pie, they divided it up and said, "All right, the Belgians, you get this. Portuguese, you get that." 
English, we get this. Now let's go without consulting any of the people who actually live there. And then of course, the modern world is run off of the natural resources that are continuing to be depleted and exploited by these powers. And I think that like the fact that this film tackles that right away and, and you see that thread there is gives me hope that science fiction can be this place we have these deep conversations about the impacts of imperialism and white supremacy and on, on people. Um, I just think where they can push this is let's get the you know the hero to be one of the people who are actually from this place rather than having it having to be a white privileged outsider from outside coming in and say like Javier Bardem right Javier right, Bardem exactly. you, know what, you know what it reminded me of Ansel what? it reminded me of the Matrix Javier Bardem's character was like Morpheus exactly Where, why couldn't Morpheus just be the, the chosen one right like, right because you see uh his character is absolutely he has this conviction that no matter what anyone's going to tell him Timothy Chalamet's character is the one. I'm like, why can't you just be the one, man? You're in the fight, okay? You know or what's Zendaya. going on. Well, yeah, or, or, Zendaya. I mean, again, this is... or Zendaya. But I was, right. I was trying to bring it back to like how it is in how it is in the Matrix too, right? Right, where it has to be this outsider looking at. Why couldn't it just been Morpheus? Why exactly? So I, I see what you're saying, um, in in that regard. Um, I liked that kind of the it girl, the main girl in Dune is Zendaya. Um, obviously a minority woman. I feel like if this film was made maybe even five years ago, like not that long ago, I mean, maybe even three years ago, <laughs> I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like she's kind of becoming Hollywood's it girl, like, you know, the Spider-Man girl, greatest showman, you know, that sort of thing. I'm not mad at it. I, of course, I want Hollywood to recognize that there are plenty of beautiful minority women to choose from, but I do think it's progress. I think, honestly, I wish growing up that that would have been the thing. I feel like every star, uh, any girl in any movie was always white. So I liked that they went in a different direction. I feels like that's progress for me. I think in terms of their on-screen representation, I think that they are pushing the needle in the right direction. However, I think in terms of the actual plot and like what happens in the movie, it falls short because these, you know, characters who come from ethnic backgrounds or who are people of color end up dying for them, right? For the white people, you know, thinking about Jason Momoa, thinking about man, Duncan, uh, the guy that uh, didn't get enough screen McKinley, time. <laughs> yeah, Stephen McKinley, Sharon Duncan, uh, Bruce Brewster, um, Sean Chen, right? These these people who do come from these backgrounds then fall on the sword or are then killed um, to benefit and to push along the white savior trope. At the very end, Anselm, you mentioned you mentioned this scene, uh, Babs. Alusan Babs Alusan Milken. That's what it is. You want to try it again, Alex? That yeah. way no, actually, I'll, I'll just let Anselm correct me and leave it in there like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, even that character, right, who now has to be killed um, at the hand of Timothy Chalamet's character to then further the narrative, to then allow Timothy Chalamet's character to gain a recognition within the group, within the community. And so he served the purpose of bringing along the white savior. And, and that was his character arc, you know, and I felt like that was just for me, 
I felt a little uneasy about that. And I, so I, I think in terms of on-screen representation, I think that this movie pushes the needle in the right direction. I think that casting, awesome. However, I think in terms of story, they, they could have done more. They could, I, I know that Denny wanted to stay true to the actual novel and that, that he made certain choices because of that. However, I think in today's day and age, I think it would have been really beneficial for him to kind of make some, some leaps, some really big choices that, you know, honestly would have really pushed our needle even further. And so, um, and who knows, maybe that's what he's setting up for part two, but still you have at the center, you have Timothy Chalamet and Rebecca Ferguson, right? These two white leads who are the centerpiece of this entire novel and this entire arc. But um, yeah, I think that was something that kind of bothered me was my main criticism with this movie. And I mean, say what, you, say what you want about Timothy Chalamet. I think that he honestly was an excellent choice for this character. I think that he's someone who represents youth, but also has some wisdom to him. And I think he, he is just a very deep soul. And I think he's a, and he's portrayed that in so many other of his different characters. And so I think he was a good choice. Yeah, Ansel, um, he was such a great choice. What were your thoughts? Yeah, Ansel, were you, do you not like Timothy Chalamet? Yeah, want, I, do you, I don't get why. You want him in the next thing. three movies? You don't like him for Paul Atreides? <laughs> I mean, look, he did, he did, he did Timothy Chalamet. Like that, that's what he did. Like he played the same exact person he played. Like go watch The King on Netflix, the David Michaud film. It's the same exact role. The same exact role. Like he he even has his moments where he is like the, the tear. He has a moment where all of a sudden it's quiet and then he's screaming at somebody and then he's quiet again. Um yeah, so I mean, you know, hey, that's the that's the character. It works, it works for him here. And it works, because... it works. I I I'm I'm not mad at him. Not, we're not still at him at we're still waiting for how Wonka is gonna turn out, but <laughs> at oh least for gosh, this, don't remind at least, me. At least for this, he's in his lane. That's what you're saying. Yes. So basically there was a lot of controversy with this movie about a year ago when this movie was set to release originally because it was going to release in theaters back in, you know, early 2020, but then uh, Warner brothers decided to pull it because of COVID and they wanted to release it on their streaming service. No one said bye-bye. No one's going, he went to universal pictures over this. Exactly. Yeah. And this is actually one of the reasons why, but you know, Christopher Nolan has been with Warner brothers since like memento, right? And, yeah, and that's that, been his sole that's been his sole production studio, right? And this broke them up. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I mean, Warner Brothers was under some, you know, a lot of heat because of this. And so then they backtracked and they're like, okay, we'll release it in theaters, but also on, you know, HBO Max. And do you feel like their criticism is valid? Like, do you feel like this is a movie that was meant to be seen in theaters or do you feel like this is something that we can easily have seen this in the streaming? Like, what are your thoughts? Like, do you feel like their criticisms are valid? I think it was pretty messed up what uh, Warner Brothers did as far as not including the, the filmmakers who they've had longstanding relationships with in the room when they were making these decisions. Let's be very clear. They did this. Sure, it was also because of COVID, but they also had a streaming service that came around, right? HBO Max came around. It didn't do that well at the onset, and they needed to have um, a reason to get new subscribers. They took this as an opportunity to do this hybrid method because they saw that as a way that they could get new subscribers for HBO Max, right? Because they invested heavily in, in this streaming service. So I think it was pretty messed up, and I see why no one left. 
you know, we haven't read the books. Hopefully you guys haven't done any other research or spark noted the book. Um, so what's your speculation for part two? What do you think could happen, especially with the way part one ended? Yeah, first I just want to ask, are we sure it's only going to be a part two that we're not going they're not going to make this into a whole series? My understanding was that, yeah, my, that, that the original plan was that Villeneuve wanted to adapt this into a two-part film series. So we can go um, in. I, I think that, that like, like, I think that after that, it's completely up in the air. I mean, likely, I, I think that Dune has the potential to be the new Star Wars. Like, I can see people 40 years from now having this whole fan base based off of this film. Um, but I think Villeneuve's vision of this film is a two-part film. So... So that being said, I feel like, yeah, so that changes what the second one could be for me. Let's just assume for now it's just a part two. I would assume that it's going to really lean into this explaining this whole Messiah thing and whatever these prophecies say will come true. And I just feel like, I don't know, it's probably just Hollywood. Like we're going to see him take over and like him be the big guy, but like this big war leading up to that. And I feel like that could spread over a few movies, but I think what I want to see and what we probably will see is him not necessarily just becoming like the new emperor, but this Messiah. I mean, I, I hope he abolishes the empire. Like, cause I, and, and that could be a really great character arc for him. Cause he goes from, you know, there's a, there's a scene in the movie where he's talking about, I can go and be on the throne. I could be the emperor. When I'm the emperor, I'll do this and I'll do that. But, you know, anyone who tries to take on leading an empire, you're going to be crushed by the beast that you're trying to direct. <laughs> like, uh, you know, Anakin Skywalker was young and ideal, and he's like, I, "I here are the way that things should be." And then when he got the power of the Empire, it it, it crushed him. It you know, um, it, it corrupted him. And so I I, I hope again, this is I, I haven't read the book, but I think where it's going is that Paul learns we don't need an empire anymore. Like, let's abolish this and let people be self led. I also haven't read the book. Um, I'm just going off of the the pretty disturbing vision. I think Shantae, that's what you were touching on that he has when he's with his mother in the uh, like after they flee and they're in the tent. And there's just I think he says like there's just like these religious zealots that are like operating under his father's flag. And then you see him in um, Chani Zendaya's character, kind of above everything in some kind of leadership role. So. I think he has the potential to be corrupted. Maybe he isn't. Kind of going back to what your question was about representation. What if he isn't this messianic figure um, that we think he is? Because we know that prophecies can be corrupted. They're not always what you think. And we even saw that with Jamis, right? How he enters in Jamis's role is very different in real life than what his vision is in the beginning of, of the movie. So I don't know what his role is going to be. I don't know if he's going to have like this arc where he becomes the thing that he's sought to destroy and then, you know, realizes his ways and ends up fulfilling the prophecy like Darth Vader. But I also, or I, or maybe he's not the one to do it and there his, his, his visions are like messed up in some way. And 
because we also know Jessica's pregnant. Um, his mother, we don't know anything about that. They just kind of mentioned that in passing for like five seconds, but I feel like that's going to play a role. If he has this um, relationship with Zendaya, maybe it is a Star Wars thing where in a few books, because especially with what Denis said about it takes a few books to complete Paul's saga, we might not get all those answers fleshed out with part two, right? It might take another movie to figure this out. So maybe they have a child and maybe it is like a Star Wars thing where this child is supposed to be the, the Messiah uh, between bringing in the Atreides people and the Fremen people. Cause this is a true, I guess, mixture of that. And it is somebody that's more on the inside. I'm foreseeing part two to kind of be where he leads a rebellion to go and free the Fremen people. I think that that's going to be kind of like the arc of part two, but I think first he's going to have to really get immersed in the culture, get immersed in the Fremen people and be accepted. But I also am skeptical about Rebecca Ferguson's character. Cause did, I don't know if you guys caught the look that she gave in the last scene that she's in, but she like kind of gives like a side eye when he's not looking. And so I'm kind of skeptical about her character. Like, I just don't know if I could trust her as a character. I think that she's going to do something to kind of backstab him or try to, because it seems like her true loyalty lies with this religion, with this, with the Bene Gesserit. Right. And so I think that if she has to choose between the prophecy or her son's wishes and going against the prophecy, I think she's going to choose the prophecy and backstab her son. And so I think that we might see some of that in part two. And we see that conflict as well. Um, when she has the confrontation um, with her husband, Oscar Isaac's character, Leto, when he basically says like, will you protect our son? <laughs> like, will like will you put our son ahead of um, this witchcraft, this um, superstition? Like, will you do that? And she's, you can see the hesitation. <laughs> she, so I think that's, I think that's great, Alex. Um, Cause yeah, she's for sure going to be a main player. Um, and who knows what's going to happen. And I'm still like, she's pregnant. What does that mean? Why, why that, that has to be important, right? Like her pregnancy, I, I, I don't know. Also, I just want to point out that she's not actually Oscar Isaac's wife. Did you guys catch that? That later? Oh yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he meant, yeah, right. He mentions that. Yeah. Little thing, but I was well, surprised. Question that about happened. that. Is that, was that a, an actual statement or was that like a slur was he like calling her a concubine because he was trying to like slur her they're together right before he dies they have that really nice moment and he's like i i don't know why i didn't marry you oh right yeah i forgot about that okay Mm -hmm. okay yeah yeah i think it also goes to show like so i said earlier like capitalism colonialism imperialism and 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 religion being a tool like religion and war being a tool for the oppression of people which is what we're and seeing so, in part two with the, yeah. with the vision and like it's he also what we're seeing in part three aka dune real life <laughs> that's well, a real that dune what's happening in the, this country right now <laughs> <laughs> i have a few questions if you don't mind alex can i, can I ask a few <laughs> yeah questions? go for it okay does josh brolin die you no. think he'll come back they've no because they made a statement of killing off characters right in your face Right. And the fact that we didn't see him and we didn't see, is it Thufir, the head of security? Yeah, the fear. Who, yeah, where, where's the fear. Mentat at? My, my, yeah, my boy, the Mentat, the, Henderson. Yeah, that Mentat guy, we didn't see them die on screen. So there's no way that they're dead. They're coming back for part two. Um, you, you can't, you got to go for the head when it comes to Josh Brolin. And we didn't see that. So gotcha. And then my second question is Oscar Isaac the new Sean Bean? 
hear me out. <laughs> Oscar Isaac dies a lot <laughs> in films. Uh, spoiler alert for a few films that you haven't seen. Uh, never mind, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I, I won't tell you what films. But he dies a lot. And, and I also noticed that if he has a beard, his chances of dying significantly increase. All right? Yeah, but so the bigger the beard, the more he's the, likely to die. The analysis exactly. from Anselm over here. <laughs> Looking so. up. Listen, uh, that leads me to a question I actually have for you guys. The last scene with Oz Oscar Isaac, when he dies, he mumbles something. And then that creepy guy leans in and he says it again and then breathes out, right? What did he say? I asked who I went to the theater with and nobody caught it. He said, here I am. He said, here I am. Yep. Huh. I don't feel like I like that. What? <laughs> I mean, but he, maybe the line wasn't um, that cool, but he like still killed like, he still, yeah, he still killed like 20. It's like, Harkin. you wanted me. Well, here I am. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he killed like 20 Harkin in there, including, um, like I knew what the, he did. Including polka dot like man. Including polka dot. Yeah, I could. I can't remember. I can't remember his name. <laughs> David Desmelkian. Talk about a guy. I mean, he's been with Den Denny before, but talk about a guy that's having a great year. So. Oh yeah. Um, but to your Sean Bean question, yes, and I mean, you could clearly see the influence from his character, and then how George R. R. Martin adapted Ned Stark, played by Sean Bean. Right, honorable men of great houses that. Maybe they're too honorable for their own good because he agrees to go because he's never going to denounce the emperor, just like in Game of Thrones. You know, the, the king says, the king commands, and I do what the king commands, and it ends up being his downfall. So in that scenario, I think you're just seeing, and it's not just with Sean or with Game of Thrones, but you're just seeing and Dune kind of being like the source material, came out before Star Wars, came out before, um, you know, the... Song of Ice and Fire is written. So that's what makes this even cooler is that we're getting this great adaptation and hopefully we're getting a saga out of it because a lot of science fiction comes from Dune, right? And owes a lot to Dune. I mean, we're not even talking about Star Wars, but you, as you were watching the movie, you were like, this was Star Wars. This was Star Wars. This was Star Wars. But Dune came first. So I, that's why I hope that it stands. I think it, I hope it stands the test of time. I hope it does that 40 years, like you were talking about, Anselm, where it lasts because it deserves it. And I'm happy that Denis, a passionate, you know, the passionate screenwriter, filmmaker with this project is the one to, to, to carry that. Very cool, guys. Well, I think that concludes our discussion of Dune. I know that we all you know, thought very highly of this movie, despite some of our criticisms. I think that me personally, I believe that this is a masterpiece. And I think that Denis Villeneuve is a remarkable filmmaker, a great storyteller. And I think that the cast and crew did wonderful. Stay tuned for next week where we will be discussing our October TV and movie roundup where we will be talking about movies and TV that we haven't necessarily covered yet in any of our podcast episodes. So we are super excited for that. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep watching the screens. Thank you for listening to Too Much Screen Time. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at tmscreentime or email us at tmscreentime at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. So in the meantime, keep watching those screens.